Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have in the studio a person I have long, long admired. He's been a friend of mine and a friend of Beeson Divinity School, Bishop William Williman. Twenty-five years ago, Beeson began a pastor school. Right when we started the school in 1988, Bishop Williman was one of the very first speakers on that first pastor school. We're recording this during the 25th anniversary of the pastor school, and he's come back to share the Lord's Word with us again. Thank you so much, Will, for being here. Timothy, as always, it's wonderful to be here, and I am a regular uh, podcast subscriber to the Beeson Podcast, and so it, it's really fun to be on it. That's encouraging. Now, I, I said to you before we started, uh, you're world famous. You've written so many books. I mean, but you know, there are a lot of people who do not know who you really are. And I know you can only say so much in a few minutes, but tell us a little bit about you, Will Williman, your background, your early experience in the church, anything you want to say about those early years. I guess it it feels right for to be asked by a Baptist to share your religious experience because uh, generally you Baptists have been high on experience and, and so have we Methodists uh, at our best. Looking back, uh, I, I do... Uh, believe in predestination and in a in a way Arminian that I am though in the backward glance and I look back on my own life and I feel a pattern I feel a kind of a divine leading things that happened that were sort of so strange it it could only be attributable to the uh, machinations of the Holy Spirit I was born into uh, a home uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, family lived on the same land for five generations in uh, farming and school teaching. My father was in various kinds of businesses. Uh, he was uh, convicted of uh, embezzlement at a bank and uh, went away to prison uh, for a few years. And I was uh, born shortly after he got out of prison. And eventually, uh, by the time I was about three, he, he left uh, our family, and so I was really raised in a single-parent home, uh, a ex- typical, traditional, southern extended family. But very early on, the church became a big part of my life. Uh, I, I think looking back, my mother kind of brought me and deposited me at church and said, all right, church, please help me raise this child. Uh, my mother was over 40 when I was born. Uh, she was keenly aware at, at that time that was kind of old to be having a baby. One time we were discussing uh, the topic of abortion at Duke Divinity School, and I said, I'm I'm sorry, I have more than an academic interest in this issue. I'm really glad it wasn't available in 1946. Mm-hmm. But uh, the church, I went to a big downtown Methodist church, Muncombe Street, and there I found a host of father figures and uh, uh, basketball coaches and school teachers and scout masters and all that uh, led me very positively uh, through the church. We had a kind of a row uh, in our church uh, over the youth counselors whom I was very close to my senior year of um, high school. And by my senior year, I about decided that to be a Christian, you had to have a lobotomy and that uh, only the most gullible simplistic people could possibly swallow all of that the way I was told I had to swallow it. 
And um, the last, before going to college, my youth counselors, we had prayer, and they said, there's a terrible book that we want to warn you about, Honest to God, by a bishop in England. Don't get that book. Well, typical of 18-year-olds, immediately when I arrived at Walford College, I went to the bookstore, uh, do you have Honest to God? And uh, read it. And um, basically didn't attend church at all my freshman year. Um, but whereas I've met people who say they were went away from God during their college years, uh, a basic uh, course in Old Testament brought me back to God because I, it was one of the hardest courses I took. And um, daily I would sit there as a professor was lecturing and thinking, now, you can think a lot of things about this man, but stupid he is not. He is very smart, and he is a believer, so perhaps I need to review this. Mm-hmm. And in my junior year, a friend asked me to go to a conference on exploring Christian ministry and ask him, why me? And he said, well, it's an all-girls college, and uh, you ought to love it. And I went there, and I don't remember anything about the conference, uh, except uh, Saturday night, a group of uh, South Carolina Methodist preachers sat around uh, talking about their lives. And this was in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement, in which I was uh, sort of active as a student. And one had had a brick thrown to the back windshield of his car at a church meeting. Another had had a cross burned on his yard. And I sat there in my low undergraduate imagination thinking, wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know being a Methodist minister was this interesting. I thought they just went around wearing suits. And uh, where did I sign up? And I went to Yale Divinity School on a kind of trial, thinking maybe I'm thinking about ministry. I may be, may, I'm, I'm just I'm not too sure. Uh, and uh, just I think God opened up one door after another, and I was stunned that people actually received my ministry. Uh, in college, when I went home and to tell my mother that I was thinking about going to seminary, um, my mother uh, said to me, in, "In what for what church?" And I said, "Well, uh, our church, the Methodist Church." And my mother was a Methodist by marriage, and she said, "Oh, I was hoping to say Presbyterian because they're erudite pastors. <laughs> I, I've never met a Methodist minister with that much sense." And then she said, uh, "Well." do what you want to, but I, I just don't think this will turn out well. And I said, why? I thought every mother wanted their son to be a minister. And um, she said, uh, dear, ministers have to flatter people and tell them sweet nothings, uh, and you're just not good at that. God has given you no gifts for that. <laughs> and so that was the kind of encouragement I had. But anyway, I just, I am still... This many years later, just awed that God chose me to do something that is this wonderful. Did you ever have a time in your early life as a minister or a Christian even when you thought about being something other than a Methodist? Well, I I probably thought seriously about not being a Christian, but mm. uh, I'm I'm one of the worst disbelievers. I mean, maybe it's because I'm from South Carolina and we believe so many ridiculous things politically that the Christian faith is such a small reach. I've been blessed. I, I spend about as much time outside my church as in my denomination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've just had such great experiences with Baptists. And uh, generally the only Baptists who talk to me are kind of the of the renegade variety. But uh, Presbyterians and Lutherans and Episcopalians. And I, I think I've kind of had the attitude that 
all denominations are equally sinful, but in dramatically different ways. Yeah. So just choose which sin you want. And if you'd like to discuss all our Methodist sins, I'd be glad to enumerate them for you. But Well, we have a few of our own. If you ask me why I'm a Baptist, I say, that's where I heard the gospel. You know, that, that's... Well, I, I think for me, too. <laughs> and at times when I'm criticizing the Methodists for being sort of thin and uh, in their theology and sort of mushy and uh, and all, I think, uh, well... They were good enough uh, to somehow cut through all my stuff and uh, tell me about Jesus. And and I must say, I, I've always felt a little intellectually inadequate because I never have been through that sort of uh, dark night of the soul and, and great torment of disbelieving. Um, I've just always felt very close to God. When I was bumming around Europe, uh, doing things I shouldn't have been doing my sophomore summer of my sophomore year, I ran into Carlisle Marney. Do you remember Carlisle Marney? Of Marnie, course, great yes. Baptist prophet. He had been to our college for Religious Emphasis Week, and uh, he had given four completely incomprehensible sermons. Uh, but I saw him, and I said, Are you Dr. Marney? And he said, Who are you? And I told him I was at Walford College when you came to speak. And so he said, uh, come on, uh, let's go down and uh, get something to drink together. And so we went down to a, this was in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. So during, I very carefully told him, I said, oh, Dr. Marnie, um, I've been having the wildest, stupidest thought about maybe God wants me to be a minister. And he said, well, why would that be stupid? And I said, well, I grew up without a father, and I'm thinking that maybe this is somehow compensating for my lack of a father or something. And he said, well, I'm sure it is. And I said, well, that's devastating. I mean, you're telling me my call from God is compensating my father? And he said, look, kid, God uses any handle he can lay hold of. <laughs> and uh, and he said, I've never met a preacher worth a darn that didn't have a bad daddy problem anyway. And uh, I just staggered out of there thinking, this is the way God works? Wow. That'd be fun working for that. Now, you've been a pastor. You've been a professor. Uh, in fact, when you first came to Beeson, I think you were teaching. Uh, no, you were you were the chaplain the, the, at Duke uh, I University. I was, yeah. But then you became a bishop. You were, I guess, elected. Bishops elect bishops. Uh, no. In the Methodist Church, uh, uh, lay, an equal number of lay people and clergy in convention elected bishop. All right. My election is still just one of the great mysteries of my mind. I've just been through a jurisdictional conference, and I spent the whole jurisdictional conference up on the stage with the bishops staring at these people saying, I can't believe you elected me. I'm against everything you believe in. I, this is unbelievable. I hope it was work of the Holy Spirit. Well, you've called yourself an improbable bishop, which I think is a very interesting term. Say, what, what do you mean by that? I think many people have the idea that to be a good church administrator, you know, you've got to be a fairly innocuous person uh, and be careful in your comments. I've never really been good at that, and I blame that on Jesus. I just, I think the Gospels are just full of such outrageous, wonderful mm. assertions and and criticisms, and et cetera. I, I think, and because a lot of people have told me, the church could would never know how to handle you and so I I feel a certain improbability about it. I, I think also I know something of my own sin and weaknesses, and I feel like, you know, to lead the church, one must uh, be uh, a person of, of great repute, and I'm not, but uh, I 
attribute it up to just God's propensity to always call kind of the wrong people. Now, one of the things that uh, I've admired about your preaching is the way in which you bring together homiletics and theology. Those are not always married, but you seem to be a preacher, and I think this is also true of your work as a bishop, if I can make an outside comment, that you really wanted to be sure that what you were saying or doing, especially in preaching, was rooted and grounded in the what I would call the great tradition of Christian faith. Wow, that's a wonderful compliment to get from you because you have certainly embodied that, and here you've built a school that... Uh, that you have made committed to that. I really think uh, the only good reasons for being a pastor and being in ministry are theological. I think the only good reason for church is Christological. I think our church is in bad need of theological refurbishment these days. And so as a bishop, I preached in like 280 congregations in Alabama during the eight years I was here um, because I'd I just I rejoiced in that opportunity to articulate the faith. The first sermon I preached here as bishop was at our Canterbury Church, which is down the road from Sanford. And um, at the end of the service, two or three lay people came out and said, "Wow, that 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 was a sermon, wasn't it? That that <laughs> you so that was a sermon, and and well, you you preached a sermon. Thank you. That I, I like that, and I've never heard that text used like that." Well, I asked the pastor afterwards, what what do they mean by that was a sermon? And he said, you know, I think they're so accustomed to hearing bishops come in and pump the latest denominational crusade and and the programs and this and that. And and I said, all right, right now I vow. (laughs) Every time I go to church, I'm going to take a text. I'm going to preach it as best I can. And if they respond, whatever, and, and in fact... I enjoy using the common lectionary uh, as a basis for preaching, and I love to sort of ask a pastor, do you normally read from the lectionary on Sunday mornings, this three-year table of readings from the Scriptures, and then have a text thrown on me that I would have never picked on my own and just said, all right, Lord, uh, I don't know why you want these people to hear this today, but let's let's give it a try. And so I I really think... uh, the theological basis of ministry is the only reason to be in ministry. I just uh, saw Stanley Harawas, whom you know well, has published a new book of sermons in which he says, the best theological work I do is in preaching. Yes. It's amazing didn't, that God didn't call Stanley to be a preacher. Uh, he's a layperson, which I remind him of relentlessly. <laughs> uh, Stanley is someone who just wonderfully keeps it about God and and keeps it about Jesus. And I I must say, as a bishop, I think I've learned more and more. Um, the more one really works for the church, gets into the church, tries to change the church, the, the more it requires divine guidance, divine forgiveness, divine empowerment, uh, wonderfully theological authorization Mm. for what we do. Mm. Yeah. In one of your books, you quote um, the late father, Richard John Newhouse, who was a friend of mine. Mm. uh, You give this quote from Richard, there is a necessary awkwardness about Christian ministry 
because we are ambassadors of a disputed sovereignty. Oh, great quote. Great quote. Yeah. And wh- what what does that mean, disputed sovereignty? And, and how do you apply that in your own life and ministry? Well, Jesus Christ is Lord, but we all act as if he weren't. <laughs> and uh, we go about politics and economics and whatever. It's under dispute. I must say, I give thanks that I came into ministry in South Carolina during the 60s and 70s, when to come into ministry then was to be in a struggle. And it was kind of obvious uh, the church had been wrong about a lot of things, and the church needed to get right, but that wasn't easy or pretty. And uh, I kind of give thanks for that disputedness. And sometimes as a bishop, when we get into a row over something— uh, and people say, oh, Bishop, I'm just, it's so sad. We're so contentious and everything. And I said, oh, you know who you're talking to? I'm from South Carolina. I mean, <laughs> at least you haven't burned a cross in my yard. We're okay. And I love that from Newhouse. And, and it is sort of awkward because we, we've we got good news, but it's news because the world hasn't heard it yet. And, and so we're, and another thing is when we say, in Jesus Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. And the world quite rightly asks us, oh, really? Well, why does, don't, don't things look a bit more reconciled to God? I mean, if, if, if he's the Redeemer, why don't we look more redeemed? And so that is awkward. But it's the awkwardness that's at the heart of the gospel, uh, the now and the not yet. Again, I think we testify to great realities that are not fully present, but by God's will will be present. Now, I'm talking to you at a kind of transition in your life. Yeah. Uh, you're leaving Alabama. You're re- returning to Duke. Say a little bit about what the future is as you see it for yourself at Duke and for the church. Well, I'm excited. Uh, you mentioned Hirawas when I left Duke. Hirawas said to me my last day, he said, uh, look, when this thing about being bishop doesn't work out, which I don't think it will. And I said, it's going to work out, Stanley. And he said, oh, I don't know. He said, but you can always come back to the Divinity School. You can always come back to Duke. And I said, well, Stanley, you know, like Thomas Wolfe said, you can't go home again. And he said, that's crazy. Everybody who hates you on the faculty will be dead by then. <laughs> and I said, thank you, Stanley. What a gracious <laughs> invitation. But um, I'm going back. I, I'm I'm thrilled to be going back. I'm going to try hard not to be a pompous old Codger coming back and saying, hey, kid, here's the way uh, you need to do it. Because, one, I think there's a sense in which these young people, they know more than I do about what the church ought to be. Uh, the other thing is we serve a living God who is on the move. And uh, to, to serve God uh, 10 years from now will probably look a good deal different than serving God 10 years ago. So I, I want to respect that. But I'm looking forward to being back among the young and uh, teaching and maybe sharing some of the things I've learned. I think I've tried some things that didn't work. I've tried some things that surprised me. I have had a privileged front row seat on uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and some wonderful little out-of-the-way places you've never heard of in Alabama. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about this this new adventure. And I, I think the governor of Alabama has got my departure date on his calendar. <laughs> He's going to be so glad to have me out of his hair. 
Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been the wonderful William Willimon. He has been the Bishop of the United Methodist Church here in Alabama, in the North Alabama Conference, since 2004, a wonderful friend of our school. And thank you, Will, for this conversation. Thank you, Timothy, and thank you for your friendship. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.